Welcome to Top Advisor Marketing, where you will learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your practice. Brought to you by Top Advisor Podcasting, a done-for-you podcasting solution built just for trusted advisors. And now, your co-hosts of Top Advisor Marketing, Kirk Lowe and Matt Halloran. Welcome to today's Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I'm Kirk Lowe. I'm going to be your host today, and today we're going to be talking to George Hartman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Market Logics. And I've known George for years personally, but I've known George as a professional, as one of the thought leaders in the Canadian financial industry, and I suspect in the United States as well, maybe even abroad, as one of the thought leaders for sure. And he's uh, had a huge role in helping advisors understand how this business works, uh, operations, succession planning. And today we're going to talk about the five questions that you want to ask yourself, or advisors should ask themselves about succession planning. And the questions are kind of weaved in here uh, throughout our discussion, and I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be a great uh, 20 or 25 minutes. George, thanks for being here. Kirk, my pleasure. So I thought we'd start kick this thing off with maybe you giving a little bit of a background in a nutshell, if you will, about some of your experiences in financial industry and what you've been doing, and then we'll dive into succession planning. Sure. Uh, to shorten a very long story, I've been in the business over 40 years, started as an advisor, built several books of business throughout my career. I've been the CEO of a dealer firm. I've been... Uh, teaching, training, coaching, consulting in the industry now uh, for about 25 years. I'm delighted to say that most of my clients are already successful in their work. Uh, They come to us because they're looking for a different definition of success or they're looking to change their world in some way uh, without necessarily compromising or uh, losing any leverage that they've created so far in their business. So so we do coaching and consulting uh, throughout the industry. And yes, we do work uh, across North America, we have a number of clients in the U.S., uh, but mostly in Canada. Beautiful. So I'm curious, what is the state of succession planning in you know from your worldview and uh, the impact that that's having on advisors and the industry at, at large? Yeah, that's a great question to start off with because it has a significant impact. When we first started talking about succession planning, gosh, it must be 10 years ago now, it was one of those topics that people kind of nodded their heads and said, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Over the past 10 years, uh, the interest in it has not only heightened, but the science around it and the dedication that diligence that people are employing around their exit or succession planning uh, has really heightened uh, quite a bit. That's largely a function, I think, of the aging demographic of advisors. Um, You know, the majority of the senior advisors are baby boomers. Their average age is late 50s. But the senior advisors, the ones who control most of the relationship with clients, are actually older. Um, We have an insufficient number of new people coming into the business to replace those who are going to be exiting over the next little while. So this is a very hot topic. Uh, It's coming at the same time as from an industry perspective. There's a greater demand for advice. There's a lot of uh, confusion around uh, products and advice and delivery. And then, of course, we have the whole impact, and some people would say disintermediation of technology that's that's having um, a significant impact on the industry. So... Uh, It's a hot topic today. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not particularly well addressed. Uh, The majority of advisors, although they talk about it with with more honesty, they don't necessarily uh, act on it to create actually a a formal written plan. Uh, Yeah, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, over the years, I've, I've worked with a lot of advisors who've talked about the need for it. And I'll be honest, I don't know that a lot of them have had a plan in place. They're, they've they think about it, talk about it, but what's what gets in the way of advisors putting something like this? I mean, the obvious things that there's a lot going on in the industry. There seems to be a constant flux of change, a lot of products, as you just described. But what do you think gets in the way of advisors really paying attention to getting this done the right way? Yeah, there are two big emotions around succession, two big uh, dimensions, I should say, around uh, exit or, or transition or succession planning. One's emotional and one's financial. Uh, I think the emotional one is actually the bigger one, and I call them the terrible twos. You know, I'm having too much fun. I'm too important to the business. It's too difficult to put together a plan. I'm too busy. It's too soon. I'm too young. I'm too attached to the business. All of those uh, two. And then the biggest one around that is to do what? And many advisors who worked in their practice for 25, 30, 40 years even just have no idea what they would do if they didn't have to get up every morning and go to the office and interact with their clients. This isn't really just a financial advisory challenge, right? I mean, advisors, I'm kind of going on a little tangent here, but advisors who work with clients, they're experiencing the same thing, which is a disconnect between their world and what they do, right? So that's why life planning is you know, becoming increasingly uh, important. And obviously, in your case, succession planning. But they're both interesting you know, parallels for sure. Sure. And it extends well beyond the industry. Basically, it's the entrepreneur's dilemma. Uh, many uh, people are defined by their work or their business. And then if they anticipate not having that business, then it's almost, almost an existential question. If I don't have my business, then who am I? That's a tough yeah. one for many people to deal yeah. with. Michael Gerber has a great quote on that. And I think I'm paraphrasing him, I suspect, but if you either own the business or the business owns you, or you own a business or you own a job, I think that's it. Either own a business or you own a job. Yeah, that's a good distinction. And we could take up an entire podcast talking about the difference between a job as an advisor and owning the, the business of uh, financial advisory practice. And that There is a distinction there. And unfortunately, there are many people who've built, many advisors who've built good jobs for themselves, but they haven't necessarily built something that's of substantial value that they can monetize at some point down the road. Right. So let's make that our next podcast, okay? Sure. Yeah. Um, I know I know you'll run deep there. That'll be good for all of our listeners. We're talking about what gets in the way, and you talked about the emotional, um, and you talked about the two uh, terrible twos. I think it cut you off there. Uh, no, I just was kind of running down the list. Too much fun. I'm too important. It's too difficult. It's, I'm too busy. It's too soon. Too attached to the business. Uh, and then the big one I said is to do what? What am, what am I going to do when I no longer have to do what I'm doing now? Yeah, so I think um, I remember you talking about one of the, the big uh, obstacles or one of the most important steps. I guess it's the first step in the process is starting with a written strategy. Uh, can you talk a little bit about you know, advisors actually taking concrete steps and what's holding them back there or what they need to do. Yeah, I think I think once you get through the process and you can commit it to writing, then it's much easier to stick to it and to implement strategy. I talk about uh, preparing yourselves through a, a defined process. Step number one is to get ready financially. Most advisors, as we indicated, have built pretty good lifestyle businesses. They used to earning a substantial amount of money. But when that cash flow stops, uh, even though they receive, you know, perhaps a lump sum or some payout uh, from someone who wants to acquire their business, there's often a significant difference in the economic reality of their lives post-retirement versus uh, pre-retirement. 
So they have to get themselves ready for that. The starting point there is to get a valuation on their business so they know how, uh, how much uh, they can expect to, uh, to draw down from it to fund their retirement lifestyle. Um, the second step is, is to prepare themselves emotionally. All those questions that I asked earlier or I mentioned earlier, the terrible twos, to get themselves actually psychologically ready to step away from their business. And that, as I said, is, is probably the bigger challenge than, than anything else. Uh, third step is to determine the exit date. Very few advisors actually circle a date on a calendar and at five o'clock in that particular afternoon walk out the door. It doesn't happen that way. It's almost always a transition, but we need to have some frame of reference. So I have a methodology. I ask people to pick two dates, in fact, call the first one the uh, earliest possible. And that is, and it's usually driven financially. What is the earliest possible date that I could exit the business and be somewhat satisfied? The second state that we ask them to put in the ground is what's the latest acceptable? And so how long am I willing to stay in the business if I had to? The interval between the uh, earliest possible and the latest acceptable hopefully is somewhere in the two to five year range. Then the next step is to, to pick the exit plan. There are lots of choices as to how we exit the business. Uh, obviously, choose your successor and then implement. Those are the steps. So is that is that defining their options? Are those the two options there? Well, no, the options for exiting are, uh, gosh, there's, there's at least five or six of them. You know, we can, uh, I always say the first option is to do nothing. Many advisors, regrettably, as we've talked about, don't have a succession plan. So that must be their plan. I call that the uh, kind of ride off into the sunset approach. You know, um, No, that's the die in the saddle approach. That's what I call that one. <laughs> To do nothing, yeah, to sign the saddle. Number two is, is to carry on. That's the ride-off into the sunset. No succession plan required there. You just keep becoming more and more insignificant. In the-, the first two sound quite painful. Yeah, but again, uh, they're, they're easy, right? Because all those reasons why I don't want to do succession plan, I can use here as to why I don't have one. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to carry on. The third and probably the most popular option is a partial exit. And this is where the advisor says, you know, I'm going to uh, sell off transfer part of my book. I'm going to focus on the high value clients, maybe keep the top 20, 30, 40 clients um, and let somebody else deal with the rest. So it's kind of downsizing. But the problem is from the research that we've done is we know the top 40 or 50 clients represent 100, uh, more than 100 percent of the profitability of the business. So if you strip those out, you basically need no value for the successor in the business. And as I said, there's a sophistication coming amongst the buyers now where they realize that, that if you're stripping out the top uh, 50 or so clients, that you're not leaving much for me. So I'm not going to pay you much. Uh, The fourth option is is the internal transfer. This is the easiest one to arrange. It's least disruptive to clients. And this is where you basically find someone internally within your firm, ideally within your office, but if not, then within your firm or certainly within your community that can easily take over the business. The challenge there is that uh, it certainly limits the number of candidates. If you work in a small office, there may not be someone there you seem suitable. Even within your firm nearby, you might not find someone suitable. So you don't have a lot to choose from. If you want a lot to choose from, then you follow option number five, which is basically to put your practice on the market and see who steps up with an expression of interest. That's most likely where you'll maximize value. Today, it's a seller's market, so there are lots of buyers out there, and competitive bids are not uncommon. 
but it's the most disruptive to clients. And quite frankly, from my perspective, takes the most effort and work. Yes. I know quite a few advisors who built their businesses uh, buying other advisors' practices. Sure. And I, I do as well. And uh, sometimes it works out really well. In other cases, you go back two or three years later and you find out that uh, everything that they acquired for one reason or another uh, no longer exists or the value doesn't exist anyway. And I'm guessing that because you've been through this and work with so many people, you can help them avoid a lot of the mistakes that you've seen. Well, I'd like to think so. That's kind of why we get we get in, involved, yeah. I guess. Uh, again, it's like, you know, it shouldn't be hard, Kirk, because the, the work that we're talking about that advisors need to do on their own behalf is exactly the same work that they do for their clients. Right. You know, it's an, anticipating the future needs or desires. It's taking a reality check on where we are today finding a way to close the gap between the current reality and the desired state, and then implementing a plan. So it shouldn't be, and that's not a reason for advisors not to plan. They know how to do it because they do it all the time. I wonder if there's a propensity or if you can, for advisors who are comprehensive planners in their own, in their, in their practices who document and do written plans, if they're the, if those people are more likely to be the people that spend the time and value a written succession plan. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, I haven't really tried to make any connection there. Uh, intuitively, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, but I think we run into, you know, the uh, shoemaker's children, the, the dentist kids with poor teeth uh, kind of syndrome here. It, it's interesting, you know, that uh, the advisors, you know, are preaching this like you've just mentioned and can't take care of it. But it is a very busy profession. And so there's certainly lots of excuses, plenty that are valid, right, to a degree. But are there any any thoughts on some steps, some baby steps that advisors can take to kind of start moving this forward? Uh, yeah, I think the best, that's a great question as well. Um, the, the easiest starting point is what I would call a contingency or a business continuity plan. Mm-hmm. And this is an agreement between advise, one advisor and another where essentially in the event of death or disability, um, we'll take over each other's business. Isn't that a regulatory commitment? It is not a regulatory commitment in Canada. The United States um, has, has required advisors, the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission in the U.S., is requiring advisors registered with the SEC to have a business continuity plan that was originally... Uh, focused only on what I would call disaster planning, right. uh, you know, a fire breakdown in uh, security uh, data, all these types of things. But they are, are expanding it now to, to what happens when the advisor, for whatever reason, is no longer available. We haven't experienced that yet in Canada, but it's coming. But it's uh, it, to me, it makes perfect sense. I, I don't know why you would hesitate on this at all. A number of dealer firms with which we work have made it mandatory. Uh, that advisors within the firms uh, find a business continuity partner. Unfortunately, in some cases, I can think of one (laughs) classic example where I asked an advisor I was working with um, who their continuity partner was, and they pointed across the the room and said, what's that guy? I said, how'd you pick him? And he said, well, he was the only one left. Um, So (laughs) it wasn't a a careful choice, let's put it that way. Um, So that reciprocal agreement is a good place to start because it contains many of the elements of a succession plan as well. Now, there there are situations where advisors would be willing to take over a practice, you know, in the event of death or disability, but not necessarily willing to buy it out uh, when the advisor retires. But 
If you search carefully for your continuity partner, chances are you might find your succession partner as well. Well, the continuity partner is kind of interesting because if you do that, it's it's like you've set something in place. And when you start thinking about what it does and what it doesn't do, that should give you some energy to go a little bit further. So does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely it does. If you know, again, if we select carefully, if we have a meeting of the minds, if we you know, are uh, compatible in a, in a number of ways that, that we think are important to make up any partnership work, um, then that could be a really solid start to a succession plan for sure. Yeah. So everybody's wondering, so, you know, this podcast is called Top Advisor Marketing, and clearly you're talking about things that, you know, top advisors need to consider in their practice, but it's my job to tie this back into marketing. So I'm curious, and I've had conversations before on this about where does marketing fit into the success in planning process? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, George. Sure. Uh, and I understand your interest, and I have that interest as well. I think the framework we can put around this is that anyone, when they want to exit their practice, wants it to be the, the maximum value that they can generate. Um, in fact, I have a kind of a management mantra. I tell all the advisors with whom we work, I say, you need to be prepared to sell your practice at any time to the most qualified buyer for the highest price because life happens and we never know. But let's assume that there's no catastrophe or contingency along the way and we work our way through to to a normal or a traditional succession or exit from the business. Uh, When we first started doing this this type of work uh, 10 years ago or however long ago we started focusing on succession planning, uh, the most common time frame that people would reference in, t- in terms of getting ready was one to two years. They thought if they started planning 12, 24 months in advance that they could get it all done. I'm happy to say that the thinking is now expanded out to five to 10 years, the preparation and, and the amount of time needed to get this done. And that, that to me is really, really good. And I, I often, I joke about this a little bit when we do conference presentations. I say, if we have five to 10 years to work on your transition strategy, then, then we can be very strategic about it and we can maximize value. Now, over a five to 10 year period, marketing is going to be an essential part of the strategy. Is how do we position the business so that the market and the potential buyer recognize its value? So we want to build the, the practice um, and lots of things we can do. If we have a marketing strategy that's in place and some marketing activities uh, that can be transferred easily to the uh, to the buyer, that increases value. If we have marketing strategies that build brand in the community, that enhances the value of the practice. Uh, if we have marketing strategies in place that um, that attract new clients or attract our target uh, market clients that can be uh, maximizing value and so on. So the longer the period of transition, then the more impact I think a solid marketing plan can have on it. Yeah, I've, I've had the discussion with advisors who are contemplating this. Have you ever written any marketing material on this or articles? Or uh, Not specifically on, on, on that relationship, uh, but you've given me an idea. Maybe that's something we should do. Well, I'll pay you to do it. <laughs> sure, sure. We can talk about that. I, I think there are lots of opportunities. Yeah, for sure. I, I I recall about a year ago there was a gentleman who I met at a conference, and he was really excited about the opportunity to work with us, um, build his brand, 
and help him start a podcast. He was really excited. He said, there's only one problem. He said, I've been in the process of developing a succession plan and I've got uh, an accounting firm who does a little bit of financial planning who are you know, thinking about taking on my business because then there'll be county business with it and so on and so forth. Anyway, as it turns out, after two or three months of going back and forth, what happened was the people purchasing him thought, why would you go through and build your brand? So he didn't get it. You know, why, why would we let you go build that and buy it? What he was trying to do was to get them involved in the branding process so that he could create more value. But you, I knew that they were going to see that. Why would we build the value with you? Why wouldn't we just, you know, buy you and then we'll figure out the brand later? Because to them, it was worthless if he didn't go through that. So as it turns out, I guess he took the path of least resistance. He wanted to make sure that they were this, you know, the succession plan and didn't want to upset them. We ended up not doing anything, um, which is fine. But I think when you leave it too late, it's you know, obviously it's not the best plan. I don't know if you yeah, ever experienced yeah. that before, but yeah, in our experience, uh, you know, a good marketing plan, you really don't feel the impact of it, the major impact of it for, for some time. I often say 18 to 24 months before we can really feel we're on solid footing with a good marketing plan. Uh-huh. There's another aspect of, uh, where, of this where I think marketing can play a big role. And that is that most practices are built around the goodwill of the founding advisor. And there's a, there's a significant risk that when that advisor walks out the door, that a number of clients will follow them. People will use a change in advisor as a reason to transfer to another advisor, perhaps one who's been... Uh, you know, uh, chirping at them over the backyard fence or they've met somewhere or, you know, their cousin's gone into the business or whatever it might be. So people have been loyal up to a point, but when the founding advisor leaves then they feel that somehow that gives them permission to change. So what, what, where marketing can play a very significant role is helping build the goodwill among the others in the practice. In other words, make the practice more important than the person. Uh, and then a successor can come in and take over the business without um, risking the impact of uh, of the primary advisor walking yeah. in. One thing I'm seeing right now is that we've got a number of companies that are either an ensemble model or a multi-advisor model, which can be an ensemble. And what the, the lead advisor or the, the original advisor is doing, so the owner or founder of the company is doing, is they're trying to include other key advisors in the thought leadership and building the brand. And the idea there is that they become so ingrained. What it does is a bit of a safety net for them so that they feel like they're a part of it and they're not, they're less likely to leave before the succession triggers. If that makes sense. And we're seeing more of that. Yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And I think with all the other marketing activities or marketing tools that we can employ, digital marketing and social media marketing and so on, uh, I think it's an easier thing to do, but let's use your podcast as an example. If I'm an advisor and I've been doing great podcasts for a number of years, and I can start through the transition period to introduce my successor into the podcast, and then when I fade away, it's just a it's just a logical continuation of a good marketing strategy. Yeah, I don't. You know, we we beat the podcast drum here um, ad nauseum, but the neat thing about the podcast is the intimacy of it. So it's actually more relationship-oriented than most other types of marketing. So that does actually does lend really well to that to that tactic, if you will. I hadn't you know planned to talk about that today, but certainly does. And thanks for following through with all those thoughts. Um, so you know, marketing uh, can play a, a big role, as, as George has talked about. Any other 
thoughts on succession planning tips or where it's at or, or any parting thoughts? Um, you know, well, it's such a broad topic. Uh, each situation is different. The motivations that drive people to exit the business or not exit the business, I think, are very strong and they're personalized. Uh, so uh, this is you know, somewhat self-serving, but I think having a, an unbiased um, third party uh, help you through the process uh, is, is worthwhile in the same way that it's worthwhile for uh, consumers to have an unbiased third party in the form of an advisor to make sure that they've asked all of the right questions. Uh, the big thing to me is if, if we give it enough time, uh, I always say, uh, you know, give us five to 10 years. It's a strategy of inspiration. Uh, two to five years uh, is a strategy of perspiration because there's a lot of work to get done in that short period of time. One to two years, I call that a strategy of desperation. And if you're trying to do it in less than 12 months, I call that a strategy of hallucination. <laughs> it just ain't going to happen. Clearly, you like having fun in how you... Um, yeah, yeah, we try to make it fun. We try to make it fun. And I, and I can imagine you've done a lot of speaking over the years, George. Um, yeah, we, uh, we usually speak at about a dozen conferences a year. We used to do a lot more, but I'm, uh, I'm getting old and long in the tooth and uh, my gray hair is, my gray hair is disappearing. So, uh, uh, I'm happy to, uh, when I, when we get the opportunity to, to speak at conferences. Yeah. Yeah. You always sound, I'll be honest. You always sound full of life and young when I, when I speak with you. So, um, <laughs> I always enjoy that about you bringing energy, interesting, engaging conversation and, uh, I know that you're doing some great work for advisors. Are you working pretty much just in Canada, or are you helping our friends in the United States as well? No, we uh, our, our business model, uh, just very briefly, we work with a, a small number of clients uh, in an intensive relationship at a time. Um, and so we have uh, about a third of our business in the U.S., two-thirds in Canada. Um, and um, we have a, a, a couple of books out on this subject of uh, transition or succession planning. Uh, so those are references as well that, that people could access. So what is it about Toronto and coaching financial advisors, particularly in the United States? Because this what is... is it, what is it about Toronto? Yeah, Toronto seems to be ah, yeah. for some pretty brilliant, you know, financial consultants and coaches in, in this industry. Yeah, uh, well... Uh, you being one of them. Thank you for including me in the group. <laughs> Um, you know, often as Canadians, you know, our, our typical persona is, is apologetic and under-assuming. Uh, under um, I have to say, having been in this business for over 40 years and, 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 and explored it extensively around the world, there was a time I, I spent a lot of time traveling and, and giving presentations in lots of exotic places, which is very nice. But one thing I have learned is that, that we're pretty darn clever here. We've got a lot of stuff figured out. We've got a great foundation to our industry, a lot of good people in it, and a lot of thoughtful people. Uh, we're not inhibited as much as other places uh, by regulation, although we sometimes feel we are, uh, but nor are we uh, operating under the kind of Wild West uh, model that some other countries are. So I think uh, in, that, in that culture, in that environment, that some, some people who are pretty serious about what they do um, thoughtful about what might work and what won't work. And there's a, a fair bit of collaboration. I'm always talking to the people who are doing essentially the same thing that I'm doing 
um, with, uh, and there's no reluctance uh, on anyone's part to share their thoughts or ideas. That's wonderful. Um, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. We're definitely going to hook up and do another topic here in the near future. And it, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, that was George Hartman of Market Logics uh, talking about succession planning for advisors. And you'll see the summary notes uh, just below there that kind of give you an overview. Of course, if you're at the end of the uh, summary here, you don't even need to read those. So thanks so much. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast by hitting the uh, button down below. If you would like us to talk about anything that's of interest to you or something that you're going through, please send um, a good friend, Matt Halloran, an email, matt at topadvisorm.com. This is Kirk Lowe signing off from our Top Advisor Marketing Podcast today. Have a great day. Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. This was brought to you by iris.xyz, a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.